Hi, I'm Jack Cush, Executive Editor of RoomNow.com. It's the 22nd of September, 2017, and this is the Room Now Week in Review. This week in the news, we have celebrities with rheumatic conditions. We have um, mortality being really, really high in interstitial lung disease, and um, what to do when you have IgG4-related disease. At the top of the news, we have a study from the Framingham Foot Study. I never, I know about the Framingham studies. I didn't know there was a Framingham Foot Study. It turns out this is a uh, prospective study of over 2,000 patients followed for a number of parameters. And, and in this particular uh, report, it comes from a, podi a podiatry or, or a, a journal. Um, they showed that those who have bilateral pain in the feet have a increased odds of having uh, hip and knee problems and hip and knee pain. This sort of seems intuitive um, that, you know, the leg bone is connected to the hip bone, is connected to the foot bone, but, you know, at the same time, I think it tells us that um, you should be looking to uh, hip and knee problems when dealing with patients who do have uh, predominantly foot pain. In those individuals who had ipsilateral uh, foot pain, that was associated with um, ipsilateral hip pain, but not knee pain, and this was mainly seen in men, whereas the prior finding of bilateral foot pain um, was seen in men and uh, women. Uh, an interesting study comes from Susan Goodman and a number of uh, researchers from a, uh, a number of different sites, a sort of multinational study, where they surveyed about 200 individuals, most of whom were taking glucocorticoids and a minority of whom who were not. And they try to get a feeling of patients' impressions about glucocorticoids. And not surprisingly, patients said steroids really help a lot. And they, even knowing all the side effects of steroids, patients were uniform in their belief that uh, the benefits far outweighed the uh, risks and the toxicities. Yet, in this study, they noted that patients who were on glucocorticoids had a lot of toxicities, including thin skin. And these are the ones that they worried about the most of all the toxicities included uh, uh, thin skin, uh, easy bruisability, poor sleep, uh, alteration of mood, uh, and face size growing or the moon face associated with steroid use. So it is the double-edged sword. It's a great drug, but it's got side effects. Patients will put up with it. Uh, it's, us, it's up to us to sort of educate them about the hazards of steroids. And like Peter Merkel said, it's the best drug and the worst drug that we have. I don't put anybody on steroids unless I tell them, listen, it's a great drug. But if you take it a long time and a high dose, you're going to get trouble. You're going to get fat, diabetic, stretch marks, uh, easy bruisability, uh, cataracts, stomach ulcers, um, weird infections, common infections, bizarro infections, more infections. Uh, higher, higher cardiovascular risk. I mean, you go on and on, and, and including fractures and osteoporosis. And yes, patients at that point are, are motivated to get off the drug, but you need to have this approach, I think, when using steroids. Um, an interesting review in current um, uh, rheumatology um, looked at drug adherence, and uh, their summation about drug adherence in rheumatic diseases is really astounding. It says that um, drug adherence, non-adherence, uh, is as high as 74% in enclosing spondylitis, 90% in gout, 50% in psoriatic arthritis, 75% in lupus, and 82% non-response or non-adherence rate in rheumatoid arthritis. Now, again, they say these are as high as it goes, and they review 
um, multiple studies that have looked at these incidence rates, and uh, again, they're higher than you would expect. Um, I've written before about the Consumer Reports uh, 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 review on this that said that um, in primary care, less than half the pa patients who get a new prescription will fill the prescription. That's half the battle, and then the other half is getting them to take the, pay take the medicine. This is a gigantic problem, this is, and, and, and we're not helped by being in the dark about patient compliance. I don't know why it's not a law, rule, or mandate that managed care doesn't give us feedback about patients and their adherence to the medicines we prescribe. With that information in hand, we would be better at working on the patients who need the most help and understanding why they should be on these medicines. Uh, again, this is an educational gap. This is a trust gap. This is a patient reluctance to take medicine problem. So again, it's something that's pervasive. Um, throughout rheumatology and throughout medicine. An, an odd study showed up in the literature about statins and lupus. I didn't know there was an issue with statins and lupus, and I think that they were trying to look at whether chronic statin use in individuals over the age of 40 years of age might be associated with an increased risk of, of, of lupus or drug-induced lupus. Turns out that that was not the case. But they did show that patients who were on statins for greater than 12 months had a 38% uh, lower risk of developing lupus. Uh, of course, these are people over age 40, and lupus over age 40 is a strange um, phenomenon. There's a lot of misdiagnosis. There's a lot of drug-induced uh, uh, lupus. There's a lot of serologies that's called lupus. So I'm not sure what the utility of this information is, and I really am not too sure about the protective effect of statins in lupus, but you might want to uh, look at that report and think about it. An interesting report comes from Rob Schmerling and the group at Harvard, um, and uh, they looked at polyarticular versus monoarticular septic arthritis. And in fact, they had 464 cases, this is a retrospective review, 464 cases of polyarticular septic arthritis versus 42 monoarticular, uh, and they showed that between the two, there were a lot of similar outcomes. Septic arthritis is not very good. Um, but they did show that those who had polyarticular disease were more likely to have pre-existing rheumatoid arthritis, have much higher synovial fluid white blood cell counts, and longer hospital stays. Not surprising that polyarticular disease would have a rockier course or maybe a worse, worse disease um, than monoarticular disease. Another survey came um, along recently looking at pediatric nephrologists versus pediatric rheumatologists on the issue of membranous lupus nephritis and how it's managed. What the survey showed was that uh, the nephrologists were less likely to use steroids than the rheumatologists, 60 versus 93%, and that mycophenolate was less likely to be used by the nephrologists than the rheumatologists, 53 versus 87%. Uh, and, and again, these are patients who don't have nephrotic syndrome. So rooms are pretty quick to uh, treat membranous disease, and the, the nephrologists are sort of holding back because not every case of membranous disease will actually need treatment and can be observed, provided they don't get into trouble with their uh, nephrotic syndrome or other manifestations of their nephritis. A longitudinal study of 117 RA patients examined what the influence of fibromyalgia was. In, in, in this study, they showed that the 17% of patients who had fibromyalgia in addition to their rheumatoid arthritis were less likely to achieve you know, a substantial clinical response. In fact, remission rates were significantly less compared to those who didn't have fibromyalgia. 
they, they actually had um, more pain and comorbidity, big surprise there, uh, and significant problems with sleep and higher um, uh, SF36 uh, MCS mental component scores. So again, fibromyalgia will complicate um, rheumatoid arthritis. If you're doing clinical trials, you should make an effort uh, to exclude fibromyalgia patients from an RA trial. It really will um, skew the results and make uh, data interpretation very difficult. Uh, an interesting study came along this week of, about the use of I injections versus splinting in patients with carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, 50 patients each were, and this was not a blinded study, but it was a randomized trial of you know, steroid injections versus carpal tunnel. And while many of the, the, the res results were the same, there was better dexterity and better patient satisfaction with the injections. So I think this says that you know, patients who are reluctant to have injections might do very well with aggressive splinting, uh, especially when you're looking at uh, outcomes 12 months later. Um, two celebrities in the news. Uh, this is kind of People Magazine kind of reports, but you know what? Your patients are going to talk about this, and you need to be conversant with the fact that Selena Gomez, a uh, young pop star, ex-girlfriend of Justin Bieber, don't ask me why I know that, has lupus. Now, we've known that for a while, and you wonder, well, what kind of lupus? Well, she actually recently had a renal transplant, and she's gone through it. She's survived it. She got this renal transplant from her assistant or best friend. Uh, and every, you know, it's a happy ending at this point. Uh, the status of her lupus is really unknown, but it's been widely publicized. It was in People Magazine and uh, Wall Street Journal and other, other news sources, and I think it's important to note. Lady Gaga, another famous singer, um, came out this, the, recently and says that she has fibromyalgia. She recently canceled several, several of her um, concerts um, because of her fibromyalgia. Uh, and says that, you know, she intends to shine a light on fibromyalgia. She's going to make a video about it, and I think it's a good thing. Patients can identify with uh, people who have the same disease. Um, other recent reports that we found from the literature, mortality being increased in patients with interstitial lung disease. Not surprising, ILD is a bad outcome, an extra-articulum outcome in rheumatoid arthritis, long-standing disease, high titer seropositivity is the profile of people who are going to have ILD. Um, 679 patients with RA and ILD were compared to, I think, over almost 12,000 RA patients without ILD. In general, the mortality figures, whether it's one year or uh, five years or ten years, are about double uh, when, you, when you look at those who have ILD. The one-year mortality was 13.9 versus 3.8, those with and those without ILD. The ten-year mortality was 60% with uh, rheumatoid lung and 34% without rheumatoid lung. Ten-year mortality of rheumatoid arthritis without any lung disease, one-third. I'm not sure who these patients are, but I would like to think we're doing better than that. But it does speak to the seriousness of finding ILD and the need for therapies. Our best therapies, which are great at the joints, are not very good at managing any of the extra-articular manifestations of RA. And that includes ILD and vasculitis and nodules and Sjogren's, etc. A New England Journal report this week on romosuzumab, the antiscleroscin drug, uh, in a clinical trial that was two, 12, uh, 24 months long. And the design of the trial where patients were randomized, and these are patients who have uh, high risk for, osteo for a fracture, who have osteoporosis, um, everyone was randomized to either receive romosuzumab, uh, monthly injections versus weekly 
uh, Fosamax for one year, and then in the second year, everyone received um, Fosamax or Alendronate. Uh, it was shown that the uh, in induction, if you will, with the antiscarosin drug was associated with significant reductions in fracture rates. All fractures, non-vertebral fractures, um, um, uh, again, I think that the results were pretty astounding. This is 4,000 patients. The only downside here was that there was a higher rate of cardiovascular events in those who received romacizumab. And this is um, one of the adverse events that the FDA was worried about when it issued a um, complete response letter halting the approval of romacizumab. And, and the FDA asked the manufacturers, which is uh, Amgen and UCB, to come back with um, new information from this trial and other trials about safety and other, other matters. So uh, the jury's still out about if and when romocizumab will be approved. Seems to be a great drug, but there's a small issue of um, a cardiovascular risk. And why that would be remains to be seen. Lastly, an interesting report looks at the utility of rituximab in patients with IgG3, no, IgG4, this is like 220, 221, whatever it takes, look it up. Um, IgG4-related disease, where, uh, you know, we're just starting to know how to identify these patients, how to diagnose them. There's criteria. There's a number of trials out there, none controlled. High-dose steroids is sort of uniform. DMARD therapy with Imuran, mycophenolate, and even rituximab. In this French experience, I think they had a, 150 IgG4-related patients in their cohort, 33 of whom were treated with IV rituximab, and they showed very high response rates with, I think, over 90%, 31 out of the 33 responding um, initially and with low, low relapse rates when uh, therapy was not continued uh, and the B-cell uh, numbers were reconstituted, relapses would resume. So it turns out that these patients should be, treat, should be treated with rituximab, but at least this is a, not a good option or the setup uh, for a good randomized trial of maybe mycophenolate versus rituximab in patients after they receive, receive steroids. But these are good options and good data. That's it for this week at roomnow.com. Go to the website, find these citations, learn more. Tune into Room Now next week for more good news. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.